0: Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Solohi.
1: We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism.
0: Each week, we're gonna explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others. And give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Happy New Year. New Year, everyone. I hope you all had a really, you know, it's been a minute since we have talked to you. We usually take a break to kind of refocus. We sometimes will record, but mostly just kind of planning. So we hope you guys were able to do the same or just even rest. Even if you just, you know, made it close to the finish line in December and you just sat on the finish line until That's December okay. 31st. That's okay. It just crawled. Over the finish line, that's okay.
1: I mean, 2023 was quite a year. I mean, although the last few years year. yeah. have been yeah. crazy. But yeah. it's insane. But, so one of the things we wanted to talk to you all about today is the little things in the IEP. So the little pieces that don't get enough attention. The parts that teams tend to gloss over. And I think most families feel like, oh, they don't make that much of a difference. But some Absolutely. of these things can have more implications than you think. So we're going to run through some of the most common glossed over sections of your IEP today. And the first one being state testing and the accommodations that you can receive from state testing. So whichever state you're in, your IEP may look different. Your testing may look different. Each state kind of has different state testing It used to be called the STAR testing here in California, and then they've changed it to what's called the Smarter Balance. No matter what state you're in, your state testing is going to have a traditional general education state testing, which is going to vary grade by grade. Some grades do ELA and math only, some add in science, some add in, some have PE, depending on what grade you're in. But in all states, you should have the general one, and then you have an alternative assessment. So yeah, the and- first thing you want to look at is is your child doing a, the typical assessment or are they doing the modified or alternative assessment?
0: And typically on kind of the standardized templates, you will have a discussion of those assessments under the present levels. So, you know, it'll dictate out, you know, whether it's applicable or not, as Mana said, the CBAC, smarter balance. Assessment Consortium. And then we have the California Alternative Assessment, CAA. There is a box that says not applicable. So maybe, you know, your child, it just was not applicable. They test out, you excuse them from it. But On this present levels, it should show you what the scores were for the previous year, right? So you would have under the SBAC, you have the English language arts. You know, was it standard exceeded, standard met, standard nearly met, standard not met. And then there's a breakdown. Also for math, same deal. And for the California Alternative Assessments, it's a little different. Are they understanding? Do they have a foundational understanding? Do they have a limited understanding? Those are the three boxes that, you know, they should be able to check off. And then also there are different tests for English language learners. Maybe your child is taking an English language development test. I mean, I know you have a kiddo is probably taking this. There's also the English language proficiency assessment of California. You know, Uh is it initial? Is it summative? Obviously, if your child's not, it's not applicable, but these are the things like right off the bat that get glossed over, right? It's just like, okay, this is like this stuff, like that and
1: that. And every IEP, you should be discussing which assessment your child is going to be taking and what Mm -hmm. accommodations, if any, they need. So there are both embedded accommodations, which means the testing creator has already put in place some accommodations in there that are accessible to all students. And then there are accommodations that are non-embedded that the team could decide are things that would be appropriate. So, you know, you have your typical speech to text, text to speech, you have breaking it down into chunks. Nowadays, all these testing is on the computer for the most part. So the ability to kind of mask problems a lot easier. They just show one per page. But then you have your students who might need more time, a quiet environment. They might need a scribe or a translator, depending on their needs. So, you know, it's going to differ depending on if you take the alternative assessment or Mm -hmm. the regular assessment. And, you know, we get this question all the time from our clients is like, well, which one should my kid take? If they Mm -hmm. take the alternate assessment, you know, they're going to perform better than if they take the typical assessment. Mm -hmm. Now. The kind of the criteria that I look at on for my clients, which one they should take, the, besides what the team recommends, right, is are is this a kiddo where we're trying to demonstrate that there are gaps in learning that the IEP mm-hmm. isn't seen, that mm-hmm. we have a lot of accommodations in place in the classroom environment that we're not really getting a true testament of what they can do independently. That would be my kid that I might say, let's do the traditional assessment without mm-hmm. accommodations. Mm-hmm. They may not do well. But that's going to show us kind of where those gaps are. Because if we put too many accommodations, we have them do the alternative assessment. It's going to make them look like they're functioning a lot better than they are. But remember, you always have the right to opt out of these tests. You do not have to have your child do it. Because for the most part, these tests are not really to demonstrate your child's progress. Although they're used by IEP teams all the time, Mm -hmm. they were really designed to showcase what the school and the teachers are doing. Mm -hmm. So it's really a matter of, and, and this is how school teams and schools and school districts and states, that's how they get state and federal funding. A lot is from these tests. So it's one of those things where if you have a child who really doesn't do well in testing, especially standardized testing, and you've kind of got them figured out, you don't need this test to really see where they're at. You have enough things in the IEP that do that. And it would be so overwhelming for them to take this very long and tedious test. You can certainly opt out. It's not going to harm their grades. It's not going to harm their, you know, any of their scores or how they're performing in class. You do have a right. So if if that's kind of your kid and you're thinking, let's just opt out, all you have to do is send something in writing to the AEP team and say, you know, I'm opting out of the state testing. Please have my child do another activity during the testing. And they have to honor that.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you want to make sure that a discussion happens, right? So that you know what alternative stuff um, and that you can prep your child because the teachers do prep the kiddos. You know, they start going pretty early into the library and this is how you log on and things like that. So if that is also going to be kind of anxiety, like an anxiety ridden thing for your child, you know, make sure because I can't tell you how many times we've had uh, parents Opt out and then they're like, oh, my child was just doing this or just doing that. And it's just like, oh, okay, well, let's talk about a game plan so that you're aware and that you can talk to your child about it. And that's what's nice about being able to kind of talk about this and getting a little bit more information instead of just gliding through this part. Within the next page after that testing There's also whether there's going to be physical education testing. So this is really important because it's during 5th, 7th, or ninth. So a lot of the times it'll just say outside of testing, you know, timeline, right? But if you want to know a little bit more information about what that would look like, maybe your child has some restrictions. This would be the time to say, hey, when is this coming up? Because if your child is the type of child that needs to know that it's happening, like we want to know as soon as possible, so, that is one area very like right at the beginning that gets. And you um, might,
1: right after that, you might have district testing because yeah. those are still standardized testing as well. And yeah. a lot of districts have their own like regular testing, whether it's once a year, or once a quarter. You can have accommodations for that. So, just make
0: sure that you're considering whether
1: or not it should be the same accommodations um, as a testing or
0: different. And so when you get to that page of the statewide assessments, it's a breakdown. Right. You know, is a child going to be in part of the California assessment of student performance in progress? Right. The C-A-A-S-P-P. You guys know all we deal with is acronyms in special education. So when you are looking at what types of accommodations and like Amanda had kind of pointed out, you're going to see a lot of like these standard ones. And it's worth asking the team to explain what the SBAC with designated supports embedded means and what back with designated supports, non-embedded. Most of the time when it's non-embedded, right next to it, you will see, for example, separate setting. Maybe the child needs to have like a preferred time, right? Maybe they're on ADHD medication. So morning time would be best, right? Do they need special lighting? Do they need different type of chair to be in? Yeah.
1: Those are yeah. non-embedded. 30 That's something. Minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 30 minutes at a time, break it down over the course mm-hmm. of several days. Those are all possibilities.
0: Yeah. Whereas embedded means there are accommodations that the test can allow for. So for example, and it just depends if there is a part where it could be read out loud to the child, right? And that's through the computer, not through a person. So anyway, that's definitely worth talking to the team about and you know what testing is coming up. As we get to a different part of the IEP, more so towards the end, another part that gets kind of glossed over and that we get a lot of questions about is the Medi-Cal part. Oh, it's Medi-Cal usually waiver. Yeah. So the this, is a, waiver.
1: this is a California specific piece. In California, you may have seen in the last couple of years, or I guess it was a couple years before COVID hit as a bill was passed to allow school districts to bill Medi-Cal for services, what it does. And so in your IEP, it'll ask you, do you want, are you agreeing with this? Mm -hmm. Basically what it is that you are agreeing to allow the school district to bill Medi-Cal to pay for some Mm -hmm. of the related services Mm -hmm. in your IEP, speech, Mm -hmm. OT, PT, whatnot. Now, a lot of school districts have been misinformed about the implications of this. Mm-hmm. A lot of, I've been in many IEPs where the mm-hmm. team explains it to parents to say it has no effect on you. Mm-hmm. And it has no effect on your ability. We just get extra money.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now we could have a whole another episode about the extra money thing about whether or not schools already have enough money, but that's another episode for another day in terms of how it affects you ever since this Went into place. I have had many students who have actually been affected by this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The student, it is basically the school district billing for that student, mm-hmm. meaning if you have a lifetime cap or a yearly cap mm-hmm. on your Medi Cal benefits for your child, those could be altered and impacted by the school district billing Medi Cal. We have seen it happen where families go to try to get services through Medi Cal a year later and they're denied because they said mm-hmm. that you've already exceeded your limits because it's done by the school district. So our general recommendation, obviously always talk to an advocate or an attorney for your specific case, but our general recommendation is not to sign consent to that. Um, because you never know, even if you're not someone who receives federal benefits right now, and you don't anticipate that your child's going to need Medi-Cal, you never know. You never know what's going to happen in a year, five years, 10 yeah. years.
0: The language is, if my child is or may become eligible for public benefits, Medi-Cal, I authorize the LEA slash district to release student information for the limited purpose of billing Medi-Cal, Medicaid, and to access Medi-Cal, health insurance benefits for applicable services. So just kind of reading that at first blush, it's if your child is or may, right? So that's why Amanda is saying like, you know, it could change down the feature now. They have you sign it every year. So if you've been signing it and then you have an IEP and you just, you know, say not applicable or like, you know, you just put not consent or just leave it blank. I mean, yeah. we would like put something there because you you just never know if somebody, you know, they're anyway. But it's really important. And oftentimes when they're explaining it, it seems like, oh, okay, yeah, this is something that that's great. But yeah, as Amanda said, you know, there's been times where, um, and there's actually been an instance where the parent did not consent, but they were using the consent from a previous year. And we were able to get the funding back so that parent could use Medi-Cal for the services that her child needed. But same thing, she had called and they had said, no, oh, you don't have any. And, and we were able to get them. So, so yes, every year it should be. But even if moving forward, you have in the past, like make sure to say that you know you don't consent or yeah. it's not applicable.
1: And if your annual, let's say it just happened a couple months ago, or it happened in May, mm-hmm. and you did consent to it, and you're like, oh, I'm not going to be able to opt out, you know, for a while, you can go back and withdraw. From of course, to that. Yeah. So we recommend you know put it in writing and say you know from this IEP we consented to this. Um, We're withdrawing our consent for just this portion and then they have to amend that another section that gets glossed over oftentimes is the special factors page now your special factors page may look different depending on your district and your state but Mm -hmm. some of the things that are in the special factors page if they don't apply to your child or the district doesn't think they apply they might gloss over it however Mm -hmm. there's a few nuances that i see missed a lot one of them being low incidence services Mm -hmm there should be a section in your special factors that determine whether or not your student is a low-incidence student. Mm-hmm. If your child has any kind of hearing or visual impairment, this should be marked yes. The implication of that is that if your student is a low-incidence student, their re- school district is required to provide additional supports and services for that need, above and beyond what you might have in your IEP as accommodations. Now, I think a lot of school teams they gloss over that because they think, well, this child isn't fully deaf and they're not right. blind. Right. Those are the only times we, and I even have, have been in IEPs where they say, well, your child's not deaf or blind, so we don't check this. But we all know that there are many forms of visual impairments and many forms of hearing impairments. And you might be someone that ha- your child has a hearing, aid, and that's how they get a lot of their sound or even processing. You might need have child your child has glasses because they have a pretty severe vision impairment. Just because you have those accommodations that helps your child access school doesn't mean that you shouldn't still possibly be considered a low-incidence student. So that low-incidence designation is not just full blind or full deaf. Um, It is meant to be for if the impairment impacts education. So if you were to send your kid to school without your glasses, would they be able to do any of their work? If the answer is no, they're probably a low-incidence student. If you send your kid to school without your hearing aids or they have an FM system and they don't use it, they can't really focus on sound, they're processing that they hear, then you should be a low-incidence student. Designations like central auditory processing disorder, all of those should be mentioned in there. So that's something that really should be a discussion of the team, whether or not the student qualifies. And then if they do, what supports and services are going to be given to them? I had a student who had a severe vision impairment from going through cancer treatments. Mm -hmm. And while there were a lot of devices they had been using for a while, CCTV, magnifying Mm -hmm. glass, having big print, all of those were helpful. But her vision impairment was one that was going to get worse over time to the point where she eventually will become fully blind. That was something that she 100% should be considered a visual, a low incidence disability. And one of the specific accommodations that we had to kind of fight for was to get teaching in Braille, to get assignments in Braille, have instruction in Braille, because eventually she's going to need that full time. And we found that it actually really helped her in school to have access to that. But Braille and translation and having documents in Braille Oftentimes it's not offered unless a student is fully blind, but there are students that still need it. So that's one of those accommodations that if you don't have a designation of low incidence, it might be a little bit tougher to get. So, you know, always make sure that if there's anything going on with vision and hearing, even if you're not fully the child isn't fully deaf or blind, that is something to really look into and the team should have a full discussion about it.
0: Yeah, oftentimes, you know, it's very quick for the team to also, as Amanda said with assistive technology, just say no. Assistive technology, you know, they just assume that like text to speech or speech to text, you know, with the Google Chrome books that a lot of the kiddos have or even iPads that it's like embedded in things. But assistive, te- or one time I had a school psych say, Oh, but like, they're not low incident. So they don't need us as technology. And i Mm -hmm. like, or they can speak. So, and I was like, that is absolutely not a determination. Yeah. There really should be an evaluation to determine whether mm-hmm. the child needs a technology or not, because as any ATU person will tell you, or AAC person that specializes in that area, there's so many programs. There's so many things that would need to be purchased that are helpful for our kiddos with dyslexia, for helpful for our kiddos with central auditory right. processing disorders and these technologies that or to help or to supplement. And so that's definitely something that, you know, if it's automatically, no, it's worth asking, why is this? No, you know, we had left you um, last year with, hey, progress reports are coming out, you know, make sure that you have those if you need an IEP. Same thing with the beginning of this year, you know, we got until May, June for some people, if you already had your IEP and you're checking in, have that IEP meeting, go over these different kind of little neat areas that we've talked to you about. Because when you have a bigger IEP and you want to get through everything, you know, yeah. what is important? You know, the goals. Some and the of these fall through scraps. And like Biggie
1: said, you know, some of these check marks. So the AT is one of those things a lot of times teams check mark no. Behavior is another one. Sometimes mm-hmm. I've had teams It says the behavior impacts learning and they'll put no, but then you have a behavior goal. So, you know, if there's any kind of behavior intervention, there's an aid, there's a behavior goal that should be checked. Yes, because it does impact. And realistically for both the behavior and the AT, unless you've had a behavior assessment or an AT assessment, you should not be checking. No, because just like Vicki said, I mean, I've had students, teams that say, oh, well, the student doesn't use an AAC device, so we don't need AT. But That's AT right. can be anything. It can be a picture board. It can be visuals. It's not technology in the sense that it's a has to be an electronic
0: technology. As well, yeah. assistive
1: technology can be a lot of different things mm-hmm. that assist the student. And it is technology in the sense that most of the time, yeah, it's going to be electronic. So it's going to be the Comprome book or a device, an iPad, or it's going to well, be- Well,
0: just like, that's just where we're at, right? In right, terms of right. being able to, and especially we would hope with the pandemic that there's been exposure to even more of that technology that's electronic or that would be useful. And so- You know, what we hope is that if you have an IEP meeting to kind of discuss, you know, you say it's a check-in IEP meeting, you want to discuss things, you come prepare, you know, sometimes teams will even ask like, hey, was there a reason? Like, yeah, you know, I wanted to kind of go over these things. I have questions about it. And I just feel like, you know, it's been glossed over in the past. You know, again, anytime that you request an IEP meeting, one should be, you know, happening within 30 days, unless you decide, you know, if the teacher goes, hey, let's do a parent teacher conference. That's okay, too, as long as you agree, but what really should happen is an IEP should happen so that you can kind of go over this in a formal setting, have the notes and then if anything pops up you can have a really good discussion about we really want it to be a collaborative and setting in one in which you feel comfortable asking questions so when there's not high pressure of trying to get to the services and placement and goals um, and you can have an actual conversation in an hour, we find that parents you know, gain more in learning the different aspects of the IEP. So we hope that you enjoyed this episode that you are able to get those IEP meetings, look over your old IEPs, and kind of get ready for this second semester. And as always, if you have any topics you'd like us to discuss or dive deeper into,
1: please send us a message either on Instagram and our Facebook group, send us an email, give us a call, whatever you need. We'll still be doing our Q and A's as well. If we see questions that keep popping up, we'll do episodes on, but you know, keep letting us know what are some topics that you really would like to know more of. And, um, yeah, we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.